Hello, I'm Melody Asani. I'm Julie Burns-Walker. Today, we welcome you back to the Butterfly Forecast. My life is a spike with pain and music is my aeroplane. It's my aeroplane. Somber, sweet and sour, Jane, and music is my aeroplane. It's my aeroplane. Pleasure spike with pain. Hi, Sushi. Hi, Smushy Angel. How are you today? I'm doing okay. How are you? I'm good, but it's been quite a densely layered week. How about for you? Yeah, I feel like we said the same thing last week, by the way. I think we did because I think we're on a roll. I don't like the role we're on. I mean, I don't know a lot about astrology, but my yoga teacher was like, how do you feel about your Mercury retrograde and all these different things? And I'm like, I don't know what that means, but I'm feeling something. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And that's what got me thinking about how many things I've heard about life. You know, in Swaziland, Eswatini today, they have this expression, that's the life. Like if something really amazing happens, they say, that's the life. And with the exact same intonation, if something horrific happens, they'll listen and say, that's the life. I think that's really interesting because is that their version of que sera, sera in French or c'est la vie? What is it and why is it that so very many cultures have their equivalent of a phrase that sums up life in just one sentence. Is there such a thing in Farsi or Persian culture? I'm sure there's plenty. I was just trying to think there was this comedian, I think it was Chris Rock. Was it Chris or it was a skit? And it was like how people are like, oh, well, that's just the way it is. And he's like, what does that mean? That's just the way it is. What? And you know how comedians take basic everyday things that we just say and we don't think about, and then they, uh, you know, reframe it for us in a way where we're like, oh, yeah, that's so brilliant. Why didn't anybody else question that before? Yeah. Or in this case, that's so crazy. Where did we get that? Why do we accept it? Yes. And it was exactly that. Like, why do we say that's just the way it is? Like, what? Yes. And it's almost sometimes when I hear phrases like that, and of course, part of it possibly is that we get overwhelmed when we hear about what people endure. Like if someone shares with you what they've just been through, or I mean, you and I talk a lot during the week. Mm -hmm. Isn't it unbelievable how many things we unpack Yeah, in one week? Like, what was life like when, like, Cro-Magnaman was around and, you know, they're processing what kind of a week they had? Wow, everyone's in survival. We may have gotten a little bit more complex in the way we're in survival, but it's still survival. Yeah. Well, do you remember when breaking news was, like, in the morning and at night? And how now it's like every minute there's breaking news. It's no longer just like a nightly thing. You know, before that's what it felt like. It's like you got home at the end of the night and then you heard whatever the breaking news was. And a lot of times there wasn't breaking news. 
you could tell like, oh, they really had to dig that one up. Right. Or it was a continuation of a story that we're, that's affecting yes. all people. And this is the latest update so that we're together in it. And I love that you brought up that point because I think what's happening is that we're so overwhelmed that we're no longer part of something, but we're just trying to brace ourselves and buffer ourselves from the next exploding news like shrapnel. And you're just trying to figure out how to cope with one more tragedy. Oh, that's such a good term. Brace yourself. I feel like as soon as you said that, that was like ping. It's like literally like you're just poised all day long, even on social media. I mean, I think that's why I try not to go so much on Twitter or whatever, but you're constantly bracing yourself for what could be happening or what you could hear, mm -hmm. what, what'll pop up. Yeah, it's true. But I'm wondering, there's no way we shouldn't be informed. Being informed is why we're here. We're here to understand why we're here. But the other piece of why we're here is what is life? I love how for some many years, we've talked a lot about purpose and how that's one of the antidotes. You know, the more you focus in on your purpose, the more you're able to clearly see other people and their purpose and reflect that and also help them take next steps because you're not confused about what they're about and what they are and why they're here. You're just like saying, no, no, keep going, keep going. You've got it. But when we're deflecting from all that we're enduring, it's quite a backpedal. It's quite a backstep. You know, sometimes we get delayed for great lengths of time. You hear about some people's story. They'll tell you that this event happened to them, and that was it. They no longer pursued where they were. They just remained in survival. So that's why I wonder about these sayings like, you know, Kesara, Sarah, what will be, will be, or say la vie, you know, like that's the way life is. But isn't that kind of the same as what we were talking about a couple episodes back about God's will? Like, what is God's will? Because I feel like even though we're not saying that, and actually in Farsi, there are some sayings that like, well, it's that's just the will of God, or that's just what God wants. I think that we're like higher powering it in that way too. It's almost the same. Like, what are you really saying when you're saying it's just the way it is? You're either saying that this is too big and I can't handle it, or I don't understand this and I'm too tired to work it, or I'm afraid. Whatever I thought I was, I might not be, and I'm afraid. Or it's you thinking that, something bigger than me must want this for me. Sometimes we think it's the creator when it's not. Yes. I also think that because our socializations in every culture have been about that culture, we have yet to embrace that we're here to work together, to figure it out together. What do you mean? Well, if someone shares, like if you shared with someone something really hard happening or that has happened, and they say to you, well, it wasn't meant to be, or this was just meant to be, it's God's will. If it is meant to be, it will happen. If not, it won't. 
So it puts you in a place. I think the reason we get paralyzed in that moment is we're really a part of us aware that another human being has the power to reflect and answer, Mm. has the power to have the insight into your situation and at least give a positive comment so that you go, oh, oh, thank you for that. I get it. This is my next step. Or, oh, I never figured that out. Or I was so involved in my experience of it, whether it's emotional or maybe it's physical, maybe some kind of pain, something that took you off your path. It's so extraordinary that we look at each other with so much hope. That's why we're disappointed in each other. The hope is, I thought you were more than that. I thought you were capable of hearing my circumstances and reflecting some aspect of an answer, something that will get me further than I am by myself. Yeah, I feel like I get those things more so from people I don't know than from people I do. What would an example of that be like? I feel like when I need a reflection sometimes, I don't trust any just anybody to give it to me because I don't know if I believe in them, if they see me or get me. And so instead of go there and be disappointed or have those kinds of feelings like hoping that they would, I think I more so go towards, well, I do have the friends that I know do and I'll go to them or I'll go to a book or a movie that has like the messaging that I need or any kind of art that I feel like would reflect like, oh, this person did it or this person was able to achieve this against the odds of whatever. And then it it gives me more of a reflection to move on. Does that make sense? Yes. The inspiration is in seeing how people overcome adversity. Mm-hmm. And I think one, that episode we talked about before about not confusing the will of God with inertia. We mustn't be Calvinistic and think that mm-hmm. if it was meant to be, it would just happen by itself. But I also think like what you're saying is someone who looked like they were against the odds found whatever it took to achieve their own greatness. What could be more inspiring when you're stuck at a roadblock? What I love is when people share process because not just the process of the how-to, but the mindset. I thought this, I believed this, and then I realized this, and that's when the door is opened. So we start to see the power of our thought and also why we have to constantly weed that garden so that you know our power of reflection is clear. A lot of times I know for myself, if I've striven to do something repeatedly and keep meeting the wall, it's very easy for me personally to go, well, it's not very important, evidently. If it were important or significant by now, I should have attained some measure of accomplishment or success with this. And oftentimes I find if I just keep faithful to what I believed I was inclined and in my own sense of feeling driven, like I have to do this. I don't have a choice. This is what I do. 
eventually some door opens and that might lead to other things. I think the secret oftentimes it's not about believing in yourself. It's trusting that if you know this is what you're here to do, you just keep doing it regardless of what you get back. But then hearing someone else's story that's when you go, okay, it's like somebody refueled your tank. Mm -hmm. Does that work for you that way? Sometimes. It depends on what it is. Mm. You know, it also kind of clarifies for me how important something is to me or not. Mm -hmm. Like if I work, keep working something and it doesn't work, you know, I get to a point sometimes where I'm like, okay, well, I guess it's not important enough for me to dedicate so much to this anymore. I'm going to try something new. But if it's something that I really believe in and I really, you know, then I'll work at it for as long as it takes. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's challenging. I mean, you hear those stories about, you know, it's like the Black Eyed Peas, for example. You know, Will I Am growing up in L.A. was probably like the best freestyle rapper I've ever seen in my life. Like I would go to clubs and see him and I would just be like, whoa. You could give him a word. He could go up against anybody. He was incredible. And he formed the Black Eyed Peas, and they performed in, like, little dinky clubs, I want to say for close to, like, 12 or 15 years before they had a hit song, before they started making real money off of it. And that was kind of an incredible to me because I was like, he, all of them, they love this enough, like, they would be doing this anyway, Regardless of what people say, they didn't care. They would just pop up shop at, like, there's this club called the Temple Bar. And they were, like, fixtures there. And then out of nowhere, they had that one song, that Where is the Love song. And it was, like, it hit, like, critical mass. There's so many other stories like that, too, where people work at something for so much longer than you think. And then they hit that big point and then we're like, oh, this is this new breakout artist or it's the new hot thing. And it, it's never really that. I mean, that person has likely been working on it on some level for a good amount of time before it's hit that point. Mm -hmm. But we don't share that process though either. And that process isn't glamorized. I think that we're more interested in the fantasy of it. Like we want it to be, oh, overnight success, like out of nowhere, this person just got discovered or they just hit it big. It's like the lottery. But I wonder why we don't more so glamorize the process of like the work it really took to get there because that's more so the reality than the, la the former. But look at the word you're using, the reality. And if we still don't know what reality is, how do we know what to focus on when we wish to grow or evolve or achieve? And what is life for but uncovering reality? And that's why I think we haven't yet as populations understood that life is for evolution, is for growth, and finding every possible road that connects us together, because then we have more to work with to create. We can't possibly have as wondrous an outcome if there's just a select few participating. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because forever ago, maybe like close to 10 years ago, you told me 
something that really shifted me. And that was that I had to weigh everything I was doing against reality. And that really sat with me because it kind of grounded me because I think I too had that fantasy idea of how things would roll out for me. Like somebody would just come discover me. Like I was just sitting there like, I'm here, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Hello, doesn't anybody see? Like I'm ready. And it was that moment where I was like, oh, I have all these expressions inside of me that I want to get out. And there's all these things that I want to do, but I also have to weigh that against exactly where I'm at, Mm. which means that while I'm pursuing my passion, I might need a job that, that pays me hourly. And means that I can't wait for somebody to see me. I have to figure out how this thing works where I see myself. And I I think reality, facing reality is hard because it's hard here. (laughs) It's so hard here. And we do everything we can to pretend otherwise. And all it does is get us back into the same trouble or worse. You know, I love that Baha'i teaching uh, accustom your children to hardship. I've reflected on it a great deal. It's not make hardship for your children. It's not introduce your children to hardship. Accustom your children to hardship. If children are accustomed to it, they find out all their skills, their strengths, their capacities, their abilities. How do you accustom? If you watch tenderly each child what kind of hardship they encounter is going to be unique to them. And so you're watching them, but in the meantime, you already know how gifted they are, how richly gifted they are. And so you you start to introduce them to that. Like, why do you think this happened? And what do you think you can do about this? And what would you like to do as a result of this? And what could we do that's even better than that? You start to turn them into Renaissance people, people who are troubleshooters. They don't doubt that there are more than one solution to every problem. And maybe they'll join with different people. Maybe they'll, you know, so many things. I, it's so funny. It reminds me of um, when uh, we moved back to the US and May was hearing about where we would live. And one of the most extraordinary, I think, beautiful, sterling gems in most, I'm not familiar with above the Sahara Desert cultures in Africa, but certainly the sub-Saharan nations, there's this common inclusiveness amongst children, this common, like, you're new, oh, join us, (laughs) You don't have to be popular or a special look or a special something or a social class or a financial status. You're a kid. Oh, great. We love one more kid. And so her having been born into that culture, coming back here and joining society, she had the assumption that she'd be welcomed. And the first time I took her to a park, there were a lot of kids. And she looked at me all wide-eyed like, oh, wow, this is going to be great. America is going to be great. And so she goes to the park and nobody looks up. Nobody looks that there's a new kid. 
And that's already different. And so she's like, oh, I'll help them figure it out. And she yells out at the top of her lungs, kids, I'm here. (laughs) And a few kids looked up and gave her this look like, why do we care? And after like going and attempting to play with kids in their different play areas, you know, the slide, the swings, the monkey bars, she comes back and she said, what's wrong with the kids here? Now, thank God that was her question instead of what's wrong with me. But asking that question gives me the opportunity to say, you know what? They haven't gotten as far as our friends back home. So I guess we'll have to help them understand how to be inclusive. So let's start looking at things you love to do and find kids who love to do that too. It's no longer going to be everybody is part of this. Well, I think that's just one tiny, tiny example of what goes on every day in our lives. We encounter all these hardships. It's so hard here, but nobody ever explained to us life really is hard. So prepare yourself for lots of setbacks, lots of disappointments, lots of confusion, and don't let that get in your way. I love that part. Mm -hmm. Well, also that thing of like thinking it's you versus circumstances outside of you. I feel like especially women do that a lot. Like, what did I do? Why is this my fault? Like going through like inventorizing. I don't even know if that's a word, but we're full of new words. Inventorizing, (laughs) um, doing inventory about like, wait, did I do something wrong? Is this my fault? Could I have done something different? How could I have changed this when oftentimes it has nothing to do with us? It's so true, but I think something, well, now you're kind of getting us on the consciousness path of the feminine. We always internalize and personalize things because we haven't yet been embraced as equal of value. So we're always going, oh, was this not equal to if a male offered this? Yeah. How do we get rid of that? I really think we it has to come from doing inventory. Hmm. More inventory? (laughs) You know, it's a mighty big book. (laughs) Uh, What what we are is so big. I love that you just said that. Some things don't get discovered until you encounter something either easy or difficult that allows you to unpack it from yourself or help you help someone else unpack it from themselves. And you see something for the first time and you go, oh my gosh, I didn't even know this person was like that. You know, I've, I've said to you, I was during the very early stages of lockdown in the pandemic, my husband Ra was, we have this in their little apartment, this one dining room table. And since we were in lockdown, no space, no place to go. We were just doing creative projects, each of us. I took one end of the table, he took the other. And that's when I learned what an extraordinary designer he is. And he was just designing every single night, every single night, hours and hours into the wee hours and designing things. I had no idea he had the ability to draw. And then he takes them to my father, who is 
a very accomplished artist who looks at me and goes, when did you learn to do this? Like people go to school to learn this. You really are a natural designer. And Ra was like, oh, I have lots and lots of notebooks that I used to draw on. So when I saw him and each time he created a new rendition of another idea, I asked him, how long was this idea in your head? He goes, oh, I've had this idea in my head for like a year or so. I was like, and you're just drawing it now? He's like, well, you know, like when we could go out before I wanted to go out. And now that we can't go out, this is what's available to me. So it's coming to the forefront. I was like, that's amazing. I still now, two years later, every time I see him bring out his drawing board, I'm in wonderment. How deep does this go? He is like never ending coming up with these designs. I think that's the way we all are. And I, I just think it takes the right circumstance to unfold something that was inherent with these limitless opportunities to unfold. I don't think it's the same thing, though, of like seeing someone in a television show or movie and going, I could do that too, when you don't know if you can. It's not coming from yourself. It's just wanting to be a star. I want to be a star too. You don't understand that wanting to be a star without loving to do what they're doing is not going to get you there. You have to go, Oh, the thought of doing that, I would love to do that. You know, that to me is that awakening process. What were you going to say, Smishy? I was just saying how it's so different the way that I grew up versus the way that I see some of these kids grow up because they're growing up with so many devices Mm. that it's hard to even have that downtime. Yeah. You know, to not be distracted by something. Yes. You know? Even for me, I have a really hard time not being distracted or not using my time. You know, like when I was young, my dad wouldn't let me use a calculator because he was like, you have to learn how to do this stuff in your head. Like that was too too much technology (laughs) in my house, you know? And now it's required. (laughs) Now it's required, but now there's Google. Yeah. And there's... Like I wouldn't use, I would try not to use encyclopedias when I was doing certain things because I didn't want to have too much of an influence over whatever I was doing. And now we're influenced so much that sometimes, I mean, I've hired like creative people to do work for me and they've copied another person's art and not even being aware that they copied it. But it's like you're exposed to seeing so much stuff, like this constant feed of visual stimulation that, you know, it's very likely you could see something and then a couple months later be like, oh, I have an amazing idea and not remember that you it was somebody else's idea that you saw already. Oh, what an interesting dilemma. What a fascinating point. That is so true. What do you think the solution is? to the outward exposure versus inner inspiration? I don't know. I think that we're so exposed to so many things every day via technology and even not on technology. Like even driving home from work or driving to work, I see so many billboards and ads and there's just such a 
constant flux of things that are being presented to us every day that it's harder to have that your like own soul's inclination towards like what you want to you know like it's funny the way that I used to shop for clothing before was that I'd have a vision of what I wanted to wear and then I would hunt for it I'd try to hunt for it and search it it's like I need this like plaid vest and the suit and I had like that idea and then I'd have to search for it to see where I could find something that fit the vision that I had and even shopping for clothing now has changed so significantly because of what fast fashion has done is that I see I see so much that you just buy what you see you're not even I'm not even unless I completely shut myself up out from it I'm not even in a place where I can like envision the look I want all the time. It's like, it's more so just fed to me. Mm. But isn't it interesting, the conclusion you draw from that? Like I have a friend and she makes her own clothes. So she gets exposed to everything that's out there. But what I find interesting is her conclusion is, wait, do I have a pattern I could use that might like double for that? Or do I have to look for a whole new pattern? But already she's individualizing what she sees. Yeah. Well, I think that that's, you can do that in your field, wherever your radar is directed, you know, because then that's your work. But you can't do that in every, it's exhausting. You can't do that in every aspect of your life. You just can't. It's so true. That's why we need each other. We need people to be experts. That's why I love true consultation. True consultation. It's inevitable that I'm going to come to a place where I don't know what to do next. It's inevitable about a great many things. I mean, it's funny. I just went through a round of interviewing people to work for me and that's what I'm looking for. It's like I have a role, I need an expert or somebody that specializes in this role. And I'll tell you 90% of the people that interviewed for me were multi, multi, multi hyphenates. It's like, I can do this and I can do that. And oh, I'm also this and I'm also that. It's hard because I'm like, oh my God, I really admire your industriousness and the fact that you can do all those things. But I don't want that. It's like I almost want something more specialized, like somebody that's more passionate about this one thing and that can grow within this one in this place. Even that in this, I feel like maybe technology has something to do with that, too, because anybody can be anything. Anybody can learn anything on YouTube. You have access to so many things but not with excellence um, that people not with excellence you're mm-hmm. kind of doing everything all over the place and then you're wondering why you're not getting anywhere i think that is another definition of materialism coupled with like the necessity to be adaptable so in a world where the economy is very dodgy people are doubling up on their specialties or tripling up becoming more versatile having more tools on their belt i think that's common i meet a lot of practitioners yeah i meet so many practitioners just exactly what you described i'm looking for an acupuncturist or a chiropractor and then they tell me 
I'm a kinesiologist. I'm that I do cranial sacral. I also am a Reiki master. I'm also the, and you go, I was really just looking for an adjustment, <laughs> you know? And, um, but do you know, the truth is, I think we're more enamored with how many tools people have or credentials in the academic world and in the business model, when really what we should be searching for is excellence and something that is more like resonance, mutuality. Can this person provide what I want? For example, I didn't get babysitters for my kids. Very, very rarely did I use a babysitter. Like if it were an urgent situation where I have no choice. More, I would say nine times out of 10, I brought my children with me wherever I had to go. The reason, not because it was easier, because it sure was not. I wanted to make sure that somebody would really watch them. I don't expect them to be me. And I don't expect them to be like a mom. I do expect them to be that concerned where they track them and watch them and are conscientious. And I couldn't find that. In spite of all the quote unquote credentials they had. So I think what we're really looking for with anybody is, will you please use your skills that you've learned and focus them exclusively on me? rather than make me fit into what you think your tool set lets you do. You know? Yes. That's about everything. Yeah, individualizing mm. things more versus generalizing. Yeah. And also, what is the intention behind the action? If we really are here to make the world better, if our quest is that, then we bring every little tool to its state of excellence. So if all I do is make potatoes, and I just know I grow them, I make them, then really and truly, I don't necessarily have to diversify. Maybe I do crinkle cut. Maybe I do, you know, deep fried. Maybe I bake them. Maybe I stuff them. Who knows what I do? I'll gratin. But the point is I have to bring them to excellence rather than get a lot more vegetables. And I really think that materialism has crept in to our skill sets. And I wonder, you know, I think that's why there's no, we're never going to have the last podcast. Yes, there's really another element that we can always uncover and explore in life. Life is that tricky. Life is that hard where you don't know what you'll encounter next. And that's where your need for your next tool comes from. Yeah. Well, Smishy. Yeah, Smishy. Another podcast for the books. Thank you. Smishy was really kind of an ambitious attempt to unpack a little bit more about life and life or something like it. Totally. Thank you, Smishy. Thank you. I look forward to our next unpacking. <laughs> and that's our show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for joining us. See you next time. 